You are absolutely right. I have never been introduced like that. Never. And I'm going to remember that and use it. But really, folks, I'm just a nobody who wants to tell anybody about somebody who died for everybody. You got that? I just want you to know that I love you. And I want to first speak to those that are our guests here today. Whether you came in off the street because you saw the sign or you wanted to experience maybe a new church or maybe you've been invited by a family member or a friend. I want you to know I'm glad that you're here today, and I want you to know as much as I know about these people, they really are genuine, down-to-earth people that love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, and they really love you, and their desire, most of all, is that you would know the Lord like they're getting to know the Lord so that together that they can make a difference in your community right here, so they are honored to have you. At the same time, I can kind of feel a little bit like you because this, too, is my first Sunday here. And I'm trying to find my way around and find the important places like the men's room, you know, that kind of thing. But I have to tell you that everybody I ran into, they've been always very, very helpful. So I hope that you'll come back so that you can hear the pastor, the teacher, preacher of this church. Because I know that he will be one of those who will add value to your life and will multiply you so that you can reach the full potential that God has for you. So again, guests, we want to welcome you here today. I remember I grew up in a home that didn't have a Bible. We never went to church. So for me to go to church, it was also a strange thing, like many of you guess. I was told that good boys go to heaven, but bad boys will go to hell. And my dad was very adamant when he said, Stan, you're a bad boy. So I figured I'm going to be going to hell when I died. And I was very fearful of that. So in a sense, it was a good governor on my life, even though it wasn't biblically accurate. It really kept me out of doing a lot of bad things. I remember one time I was uh, in a near-death experience, and I cried unto the Lord, and I said, Lord, I want to know why am I here? How can I go to heaven? Maybe you guests might have come in here with that same query. I want to know, what about the hereafter, and can I ever make it there, and what do I really need to do? Well, God wants to recklessly run to you today to make sure you understand the simple plan of salvation found in the person of salvation of Jesus Christ. Well, it was shortly after I cried unto the Lord, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know what's next in my life. That a girl who sat next to me in high school, we took a public speaking class together. I was going to go into radio broadcasting, television broadcasting. She was going to just get over her shyness. She invited me out to a youth meeting. So you young people, you might want to lean into this. She very carefully invited all those who sat around her to come to this youth meeting. And it was at this youth meeting when we showed up packed out with kids, singing vibrantly for the Lord, as well as hearing a speaker open up his well-worn Bible and clearly explain to us God's mind and heart on paper, call the Bible, how we can trust it scientifically, historically, prophetically, archaeologically, but also subjectively how it could work in our life. Well, I began to really lean into that because I kind of believed the Bible ignorantly, but I didn't know why I should believe the Bible. He showed me why I could trust what God would be telling me in the Bible. But that still wasn't going to give me the answer to how to go to heaven when I die. So then, as soon as he finished making sure that those who were present could understand how to go to heaven by faith in Christ, then he gave that simple message saying to all of us, if you are not certain to have eternal life, can you at least humbly admit that you're a sinner, that you have missed the mark of God's perfection? And if you could admit that, can you really understand that there's a consequence for that and the consequence is to spend eternity separated from God, but that God really loved you and he said that it's not by your works because you could never be good enough, but it's by what I've done for you on the cross through Jesus Christ. Well, that night, after now believing that the Bible is God's mind on paper and hearing that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
for the glory of God alone, because of the word of God alone, I would then trust Christ as Savior. As soon as that youth meeting was over, it was a packed out group of teens. They got up and they headed to play volleyball or to go home. But the gal who invited me, she um, stood up quickly and she put her hand on my arm so I wouldn't kind of run out. And she said, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions, Stan? I said, no, what, what would you like? And she said, let me ask you, did what that guy say from the Bible tonight on how to go to heaven make sense to you? And I said, well, yes, it did make sense. Now, most people would say, hey, that's great. He's going to heaven. But she didn't leave it with that. And you guess we don't want you to be left with that either. Yes, we do believe the Bible is God's mind on paper. And yes, you're going to hear again how to have eternal life. But not just to hear the truth of it. I needed to do something with it. So then she asked this question. If what he said from the Bible about how to go to heaven through faith in Christ made sense to you, then let me ask you, Stan, if you were to die tonight on the way home, um, would you go to heaven? How many birthdays do you have to have to go to heaven? Well, I was 16 years old then, so I thought if I died at 16, I'd go to heaven. And she said, no, you need two birthdays to be assured of going to heaven. I said, huh? Two birthdays? She said, yes, you need to be born in your mom and dad's family. They do the work, you're born, but you need to be born into God's family. He does all the work, and you're born again. You just have to believe that if you would trust Christ as Savior. Well, that night... She clearly presented the plan of salvation to me once again. And then she said, would you like to trust Christ as your forever Savior for the forgiveness of your sin? And that night I accepted the payment that Christ already made for me on the cross by placing my faith in Jesus Christ. And I'd like you to know that gal is here today in your audience. And I'd like to have her stand up. She's been my wife this June 50 years. So Carol, would you please stand? Now, for you young people, I don't want you to think that she liked me and this was missionary dating kind of a thing. I want you to know that she just saw me as a lost surfer kid in high school that needed Christ, and she brought that to me by bringing me to this meeting. I also have to tell you, though, she was very careful to make sure that we had a relationship that was founded on God's principles, and it wasn't long, three years later, that we realized that we could become life partners together, serving the Lord in a very wonderful way, and I'm very grateful for that. But I also learned as a new married guy that in order to have a healthy earthly relationship, especially with your wife, and if, the, if you're not married, this is a truth that works with any relationship you have, and that's simply this. You have to have good, healthy, consistent, correct communication to do that. And I've learned that not only is there good communication that you have with your wife when you're first getting it together, as I often like to tease and say that Carol and I have been going to be married 50 years. We've been happily married 47 years. It's those first three years that are a little bumpy, you know. But now that through the learning of communication, we've become much stronger. Now let's talk about, for those of you that are kind of new here today, we call it a relationship with Christ. And it's not this existential thing. It's a real genuine relationship with the real God, Jesus Christ, who while he is in heaven, he then is also inside of us through the Holy Spirit, those who trust Christ as Savior. And for us to have a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, then we have to have what we call communication. That's the simple little language that you and I would use, but the Bible uses another term that's just the same. It would be the word prayer. Now, some of you are old enough to remember a book that came out many years ago, and that book was called Prayer, Asking and Receiving by John R. Rice. Excellent book. It's used in a lot of schools today, and you might have read it. But really, prayer is a lot more than just we ask God and we get from God. Prayer is, and you can write this down, 
Prayer is building a relationship with the Lord by communicating with him. So if I want to have a deeper relationship with the Lord, I trust Christ as Savior, I'm born again into a new relationship, and to have a deeper one, I need to communicate with him. And when I do, it's I'm listening to him, I'm talking to him, I'm building that closeness to him. I can pray at a designated time. I can pray when I'm driving, and I often do. Oh my goodness, you know, I pray. Wherever it is, you build a relationship with the Lord. Now overall, there are two general requirements to have that relationship with him. One is that we need to have what I call alertness. Let's go back to the relationship with my wife. I will not have the kind of communication with her if I'm not alert or alertly picking up signals from her during her time of conversation. We have our different kinds of styles. Some of it's going to be body languages. Some of it's going to be tone. Some of it's going to be the words. Like I could say, I love you. I could give her a little note that says, I love you. Okay, that's a simple little way. Simple little way to communicate. But my tone is important. I could say, I love you. You know, now that doesn't work. But if I say, I love you, I move from the right tone into a communication that I love her. But to really show it, I live in a way that will bring honor to her, to serve her, to give her guidance, to help meet her needs sacrificially so that she could be all the woman of God that God wants her to be. And so I'll tell you, alertness is important. The second is I need to be thankful. There's a thankful spirit. And so if I look at my wife and I look at her and I realize that she truly is God's gift to me. Now think about that moment I said about my wife. When I trusted Christ because I'm born again, then I became a brother to Carol. She became my sister in Christ because both of us now have God as our father. Do you catch that? Pretty simple, isn't it? All right. But now she's my wife. So she's my wife and she's also my sister in Christ. How beautiful that is. Now, in addition to that, because she led me to Christ, she's now my mother too, you know, because she led me to Christ. And she'll tell you that sometimes I need that kind of mothering. I like to say, though, she really is the fourth person of the Trinity. Theologically, it doesn't work. But in reality, she has really saved my bacon many times. I am who I am today, much because of what she has done. Now, saying all of that now wraps around the idea of I need to realize that truly Carol is God's gift to me. And with Carol being the gift that God has given to me, she brought me the gift of eternal life. So together, I need to have a grateful spirit for all that I have really learned in that relationship. And you know, I single out Carol, but those of you that have your own relationships, they're all special from the Lord. Now let's go back to the Lord. Now when I look to the Lord and I want to have a communication with Him, wouldn't it be wise for me to recognize that I need to have a grateful spirit? There was a book written a long time ago by A.W. Tozier. And in that book, he said, the missing jewel in church today is worship. You ought to read that. And so there's been a new movement to really experiencing worship like we had today, which was outstanding. But I would like to add one thought. I think there's a missing jewel even in worship. The missing jewel in worship sometimes is what I call a grateful heart or thankfulness. That sometimes we sing it because it emotionally gets us, but we forget the commodity of being thankful to the Lord. Now, with that type of praying, those are the two overall types of prayer. But in the passage that we're going to look at in the next few minutes, there's actually four components that deal with the whole concept of prayer. And then I'm going to talk about 
the type of prayer that involves praying for others. So let's talk about, generally speaking, the four components of prayer. One type of prayer is what we call persevering. Let's look at the scripture. I'm going to read it to you from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. Now, you could take it out of your leather-bound Bible. You can open up your uh, electronic device if you want to. I'm going to be using a particular version. Use whatever version you'd like. But basically, this is what the passage says. It says this in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. It says, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in a way that I ought to speak. So what are the four components of prayer, at least in this type of passage? The first one, it says, devote yourself to prayer. Here it is. It's called persistent. If I'm going to communicate and build a healthy relationship with the Lord, I need to be persistent in my prayer, making sure that I carve out special time of prayer, but also to make sure that I'm in an attitude of prayer. Last night we were with a Florida Bible College graduate, and she was sharing what God is doing in her life. She's been writing musicals for churches, vacation Bible school, for special music for kids. And in the course of that particular time, she was talking about the importance of prayer. So she prayed for her father and how long she really prayed, and she was very persistent about that. She came from a family where the dad was a mean, angry man. In fact, he had a stroke, and even in his angry, stroken condition, he would be gruff as he talked to the family. And a workman came and brought him a Bible and carefully explained the plan of salvation again. The dad heard it from his wife, from the kids, from the grandkids for decades, but he refused it. His friend stepped into his life, and with a matter of an hour, he submitted to Christ, trusting Christ as a Savior, and he was forever changed until the day of his death, and he is now in heaven while I'm giving you this message. Now, I'm saying all of that because this family was persistent, and they were devoted in praying for their family member, in this case, their dad, grandpa, and husband. Here's the second. In the passage, it says, keeping alert in prayer. And that really basically means just keeping alert, being awake when you pray. I don't know how good it would be if my wife and I were communicating, and while she's trying to talk to me, I'm responding with... <coughs> now, has that ever happened? Once. <laughs> and only once, all right? So it's important to keep alert in prayer. And I would like to say that in the same thing, responding to the Lord. We don't give these little rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub prayers when we talk to the Lord. It is a meaningful time of prayer. That same lady I was speaking about a moment ago, she said, would you pray for my daughter? And I won't go any further than that because it's a little bit more tender. And I said, yes, I will, but you need to know this about my wife. Carol has at our, our dining room table in Orlando at our home there, she has her Bible. She has a devotional booklet that we've put together. She also has her um, prayer list in front of her. And when you say to Carol, Carol, would you pray for whoever that might be, she doesn't just write down the name. She captures the story around that person. And then for an hour to an hour and a half, after her devotion time, she then takes her prayer book, she opens it up, and then she prays for that person so deeply. It's not like pray for John, pray for Bill, pray for Sally, amen. It's, and she does. She allows the Spirit of God to take her mind, bring it together about what particular issue of that person to pray about. What's so much in need for that person? So I would say Carol is persistent. She prays every day. Now when that person's prayer is answered, 
she puts a little cross by it, and she's able to move on so that her prayer list isn't so long it becomes encumbering to her. But she senses that in her time of bringing others to the Lord, it, here it is, enriches her intimacy with God. And frankly, folks, that is the mantra of Florida Bible College. We don't want to serve the work of the Lord. We want to serve the Lord of the work. And here's the phrase. Our intimacy with the Lord fuels our outreach for the Lord. So if we have proper intimacy, that will give us the motivation and the sustenance to continue doing our outreach for the Lord. Here's the third. And that is we talked about it a moment ago, but that's thankful. In this context, it says this. Besides keeping alert in prayer, it says, with an attitude of thanksgiving. So again, if I want to build a relationship with the Lord, I need to be thankful. If I want to build a relationship with my wife and others, including my staff, the people I worship with on Sunday, I need to have a very thankful spirit. And there's always something that you can thank them for. And then the last in this passage, it says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God would open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. So here's the point. In our time of prayer, we do need to pray for others. And this is my introductory remark here because I want to really set the stage of where we're going with this. So in our time of prayer, it's not really just praying, Lord, give me a job. It's not necessarily, Lord, solve my basic day-to-day -day problems. We can pray for that, but we do need to pray for others. Now listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. This is very important. Nowhere in Scripture do we see where Paul prayed for others to get a job. We don't see where Paul prayed for others to get well. But we do see that he prays spiritual prayers that will transform the people for whom he is praying into the person of Christ. If you're with me on that, say, uh-huh. All right. However, there's another kind of prayer, and that's where we're going today, and it won't take me just a few minutes. Part of his prayer was also that he would pray for others specifically in the area of them coming to faith alone in Jesus Christ. So let me come up for air for just a moment. I did a study on prayer. I don't have a book out or anything like that, but in this study of prayer, I was on a quest to find out. I studied the prayers of Paul in Ephesians, the two major prayers there, the one in Colossians, how he prayed for the believers. But I want to know, what did he do to pray for lost people? And I discovered in Scripture that there are only four different passages in Scripture out of all the passages on prayer that speak specifically of praying in the area of evangelism. And I want to bring those to you. The little twist on it is I'm going to take these four, and there's only four, and I'm going to put it into a progressive order for you so that when you say, all right, I know I need to pray perseveringly, I need to pray with, with alertness, I need to pray with a thankful heart, I need to pray for others, but what do I pray for others? What greater prayer can you pray for them that they would come to faith alone in Christ? And I'm not minimizing that they have hurts, hang-ups, and habits in their life that need to be worked on. I get all of that. But what good would it be to get this guy healthy only to die and go to hell? Or to get a great job and die and go to hell? Or to have all of his habits and hang-ups and hurts dealt with and still die and go to hell? Don't you agree that the greatest need that an unsaved person needs is an intimate, personal, forever relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you agree with that? So with that, what do we do? So let me back up a little bit and talk to those of you that are already seasoned, and I'm going to use an old term, seasoned soul winners. 
I mean, you are known to be um, evangelistic in what you do. You're not afraid. You don't talk to a stranger. You don't go to a party. You bring a party with you kind of thing. You know, you're there. And I want to commend you on that. But that's not the group I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to the majority of those that are listening to my voice here and maybe on tape later, and that's this. They're the ones that already kind of know they're going to heaven, they've trusted Christ, but they know that they have people in their lives that don't, but they don't know how to get to from where they are to where those folks are in a way that would not embarrass them or embarrass their family or friends. How do I do this? What do I do? What's my first step in evangelism? Your first step in evangelism other than making sure you have a clean life and that type of thing, is going to be what you pray about for those people. So I'm going to submit to you in an exposition from Colossians and then two other passages, how do you pray that will impact your world? Not the world that's in another country, not the world that's in Washington, not the world that's right here in our own state, Georgia, but in your little world, how do you pray that will help you evangelize those better. So without even going nose to nose, toes to toes, eyeball to eyeball with them, how do I begin to pray? This is what I'm going to leave with you. If you're the most timid soul winner or the most outgoing soul winner, what do I do? There's only four of them. Let me ask you a question. How many of you of someone personally in your life right now that doesn't know Christ as Savior that needs to know Christ as Savior? Would you raise your hand? Okay. You know what that tells me? We need this message, don't we? So this is going to help us. So here's number one. I talked about it a moment ago, but I want to go a little bit deeper in it. The first thing we need to do is we need to set aside what I call a prayer list where we're praying for others and ourselves, but we pray for others that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to hold your place right here in Colossians chapter 4, because we're going to come back to it, but I want you to go to 1 Timothy, if you will, chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you can flip over in your device if you'd like. You can see it up on the screen or in your outline there, however you want to do it. But I want you to look at this. We're going to talk about, all right, I'm, I'm ready to go, Stan. I'm scared to share the faith. I know I should. What do I do? I'm saying prayer. What do I pray? At least begin to pray for the other person. Here's the passage that substantiates this. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Here it is, and you can mark it with your pen if you can. It says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, circle all men, for kings and all who are in authority. So it's talking about important people, whether in politics or anybody who's in authority, which could be parents, grandparents, teachers, uh, your employer, people that you know that are in a particular authority, like a police officer, doesn't really matter. All people, all in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Tranquil and inside, so I have inner peace, quiet life, outer peace, that things are going well with me. So I'm praying for these people that are in authority that are in a position to provide inner and outer peace for me in all godliness and dignity. Go a little bit further in the passage. It says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. What is good and acceptable? That first of all, we're praying for all people. And then it says, go back to the passage, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is good and acceptable? I think it goes up and down. Up is that we have a quiet life because we're praying for those that are in authority. It goes down. How do we get them to give us a quiet and peaceable life when they know Christ as Savior and they come to the knowledge of the truth? So we would say they get saved, but they also are now disciple. So look up here. So you've been following that passage. So what are we doing here? I'm going to be praying for all people in authority, which a lot of you already do that. But specifically now, we're going to pray for all people. Who should I pray for? 
I want to pray, because this is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, what's acceptable, that they would, here it is, listen carefully now, listen, that they would, because God desires all men to be saved, it's, God's, it doesn't, it's not his will, he doesn't make them get saved, but it's his desire, he has that reckless love that's running after you, all right, he wants you to know him, he wants you to have your sins forgiven, he wants you to be in heaven, all right, he wants you to be saved, okay, then it says, in the knowledge of the truth, which means he doesn't just want you to have, here's the phrase, fire insurance, he wants you then to go on to become, here it is, a fully obedient worshiper of God. You can't be a fully obedient worshiper of God until you are saved. But if you're saved, he doesn't want you just to have fire insurance. He wants you to go on to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So that's what we're doing. So when I give you the list here in just a second, when I give you that list, you're praying for them. You don't just want them so that they are saved from hell. You want them to go on to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now let me tell you a, a story that worked but I regret it. When I was in youth work, um, we had we started with six kids, and literally nine months later, we had over 400 kids coming out, and they were all junior high kids, and we had it at a hotel on the beach, so it's hard to draw people from the, the ocean, so you can imagine from just three-quarters of those around us, the place was populated with kids. One of the things that we did that I think worked, but I don't know that it was the best that we could do, and it was this. I told our, our kids, I said, you know, when you go back to school on Monday, because this youth meeting was Friday, so when you go back to school on Monday, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down the halls. I want you to go out in the gym class. I want you to see in the cafeteria. I want you to look at your friends as they're walking up and down the halls and pretend it's tattooed on their forehead right here is this phrase. And they're all, what phrase, what phrase, what phrase? I said, tattoo on their forehead. And every time they walk at you, walk towards you rather, walk, walk at you, walk towards you, I want you to look at their forehead and look at that tattoo, every one of them, in the locker room, in the hallway, in the gym class, wherever you are, and here's what you're going to put on their forehead. I am going to hell. Now, I don't want to chuckle at that because in reality, if those kids didn't know Christ as Savior until they knew Christ as Savior, they were going to hell. They were born separated from God, and they lived separated from God until they trusted Christ as Savior. All of a sudden, the youth ignited, and they began to think, my friends, they really are going to hell. All of a sudden, school became a mission field. All of a sudden, it became, I have a reason to be here at school, and that's in some measure rescue my friends. That was a big deal. Now, here's what I regretted. They would bring their kids, their friends, their buds, They'd come in, and many of them got saved. Many of them got saved. But they didn't go on to become fully devoted followers of Christ. If I had to do it all over again, I would teach the kids, when they go up and down the hallway, I'd have this tattooed on their forehead. I am potentially a full, complete, devoted follower of Christ. Now, that's what I do now, and that's why I'm submitting it to you. When you young people go to school tomorrow, wherever you go, look at that young person and say, I potentially, if I trust Christ, could become a fully devoted follower of Christ. You that go to work tomorrow, you get out of your pickup truck, you go on the construction site, and you look at those people. I could become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And you are God's missionary to that mission field to whom he's called you. Now, you guests that are out here today, I don't want you to think that I'm unleashing these people to be a bunch of 
crazy, wacko Christians that are going to run up to the unsaved people and scream, turn or burn, try or fry, forsake or bake, if you fizzle, you'll sizzle. I'm not doing that with these people. All I'm doing is reminding all of us that there is eternity. God is large and in charge. He wants to have a relationship with you. He is recklessly running after you in this service today. And then he wants you to come to faith in Christ and go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of Christ. So now I'm going to divide up the people in your life into four categories. I picked this up from Elmer Towns, and I loved it so much that I've been using it ever since. If you have a better list, go for it. I'm going to use the, the name Fran. Do we have any gals in here named Fran or Francis? I don't know if we do. If you do, raise your hand, okay? We don't, that's okay. Take the word Fran, F-R-A-N, and I want you to put in your margin of your notes. For F, I want you to put the word friends there, okay? How many of you have a friend that doesn't know Christ as Savior? Okay, you're going to put their name or their initial. The, R, the letter R is not relative, is, is relative now, beyond friends. It's dealing with a relative. How many of you have an unsaved relative that needs to know Christ as Savior? Okay. I led my 89-year-old father-in-law to Christ shortly before he died. So you can still see relatives at the very end of their life that can come to faith in Christ. The letter A represents associates. Associates would be those with whom you work or those who work for you or those um, that, that are all part of your world of work. And you teenagers, you young people now, you students, it would be those that you go to school with, those that are on your team. Those would be people that are kind of outside. They're not friends, but they're not family, but they are associates. Maybe the lady who cuts your hair, maybe the guy who works on your truck, whatever it might be, it's those associates that you have in your life. The letter N would be your neighbors. You don't live in prison, so you've got someone across the street from you, behind you, next to you. Maybe you live with an HOA thing that's going on in your subdivision. I don't know, but they would be your neighbors. And I want you to know your neighbors can come to Christ. Now, with those four, I want you to know that it is still possible for them to come to faith in Christ. Let me share with you. We're not talking about hitting them with the gospel yet. We are talking about just praying for them. So let me tell you a story so that you would persevere in your own prayers for your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. Would you say those four terms with me out loud? Friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. All right. I am now teaching at Florida Bible College. Um, I really wanted people to come to know Christ as Savior. I went back to the night in my mind that I trusted Christ as a 16-year-old kid. I was so excited that my sins were forgiven. I had a home in heaven, and, and now I could know God. That when I got home, which was late at night, because it was a football game, then the youth meeting, and then I got home, my dad is a rough and tough, hard-to-diaper, construction-type worker in Miami, back in the heyday when Miami was really exploding in growth. And uh, he waited up for me. It was like 12 o'clock at night. My dad never waited up. He was construction. We'll go to bed early, get up early, get to work, you know, kind of thing. Owned his own company. And so I, I walked in the door. There was my dad. He was waiting. Where have you been? And I said, Dad, I, 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 I went to a football game. What took you so long? I said, well, Dad, I said I, I, I was going to go to a Bible study afterwards. Bible study? We don't go to those things. What do they teach you there? I said, well, they teach you that, that I'm going to heaven, Dad, and you're going to hell. Now, let me tell you something. That is not how you do it. It took decades for Dad to come to faith in Christ. So now I'm living with a family that didn't know Christ as Savior, and yet I'm now not only a Christian, I'm now teaching evangelism in a Bible college, and yet they're not being saved. So Carol and I decided we're going to implement what I'm teaching you here today 
with my own family. She got on one side of our bed. I got on the other side of the bed. We leaned across the mattress, and we prayed once a day. I prayed in my quiet time, prayed that my dad would come to faith in Christ. I now decided to have a father and son dinner at a restaurant in Hallandale Beach. It was called the Round Table Restaurant. They would put a big old bowl of soup in front of you there, and I would begin to talk about my dad. Now, how that all began was I walked into that restaurant. That was an unusual thing because my dad, when I got in, he got there ahead of me. He wasn't waiting in the waiting room. He was waiting in the bar. And we're not talking salad bar, okay? And so he's inside this thing. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, I come up to the edge. Here it is. Here's the line. Waiting area, restaurant, bar. Where does Reverend Stan Pons, teacher at Florida Bible College, go into a bar? I said, if anybody ever saw me, I'd lose my job. I would, I, what would happen if I was in there? So I had a moment of a major decision. So I looked at this line. I looked at my dad. His back was to me. He was not a falling down drunk, just wondering, that kind of thing. You might know people like that. Maybe you're one. Anyway, so I looked over the back here. What do I do? And I realized that Jesus ate with the publicans and sinners. He didn't palsy-walsy with them. He had a purpose for being there when he was there. I have a purpose to be there with my dad. My purpose is to lead him to Christ, and I'm going to let God take care of my rep, if you know what I mean. So I walked in there, and I stood next to my dad, and I said, Hi, Dad, I'm here. And he said, Oh, son. And my dad was one of those guys, if you had a dad like that, he would smile, and his eyes would disappear. Hey, he's dad, good to see you. And he wasn't drunk. Hey, how you doing? You know, so put his arm around me, and he says, You're not very comfortable in here, are you? And I said, Well, I love being with you, Dad. He said, No, 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 come on, come on. So we walk out in the restaurant. To make a long story short, he then spent most of the dinner talking about himself, and then he said, Stan, now what do you do? And I said, well, Dad, you know, I teach at the Bible college. I tell people how to have eternal life. I'm teaching students how to do that. And I travel around the country doing like I'm doing here, telling people about salvation and how, how to be saved and how to get others to know the, the message of salvation. And he said, well, that's great. He said, um, I'll let you know next week whether I'll trust Christ as my Savior or not. It got quiet, just like here. And so then I responded by saying, Dad, would you do me a favor? He said, sure. I said, do me this favor. Don't die. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, don't die, you know. But he really laughed at that. A week later, we came back, and he said, Stan, you know, since last week, someone gave me a Bible, an old King James Bible. Dad never passed the eighth grade. Just a wonderful little construction worker. Most he ever read with the headlines or he watched the news at night. That was it. Wasn't a reader. And he says, I read in the Bible where Jesus turned the water into wine. How did he do that? And I thought, oh, my goodness, I have to use apologetics on my dad now. So I simply said this. I said, Jesus is God. He can do miracles. This is a miracle. And he said, I can believe that. See how simple it is? Sometimes we get lost in a lot of other stuff that we don't need to. That night, he said, I'm ready to trust Christ. So over this bowl of soup, he bowed his head. And I watched this rough and tough, hard-to-diaper construction guy lift up his head after he had trusted Christ as Savior. Tear coming down his cheek. And he says, I'm going to heaven. I'm so excited. I'm going to heaven. And I said, well, you know what, Dad? Mom needs to know this. And his response was, boy, is that going to be hard. <laughs> what did we do? We prayed. I want you to know, don't ever give up on your loved ones who need to know Christ as Savior. You pray for them. Whether you lead them to Christ or someone else does, never, never, never give up on praying for your loved ones. If you've been slow at doing it now, thinking they'll never get saved, I've just given you a testimony of someone who had. My dad, my father-in-law, and that graduate's dad that I spoke about last night. So I wanted you to know, 
that it can happen to you because God honors the prayers of God's His people. And I just want to encourage you to pray for others, friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. Here's number two. Okay, you're praying for them. The second that you pray about that's in the context of the only four times prayer is mentioned in the relationship to evangelism is to pray for an open door to share the message of salvation. We could say it this way. Pray that God would open up an opportunity for you to be able to share the message. So let's go back to Colossians chapter 4. It says this, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. So now here you are in your prayer time. You're taking a baby step in evangelism. You're praying for a lost friend, relative, associate, or neighbor. As you're praying for them, you're praying that in some measure, God would open up a door so that you could speak or someone could speak that message. So you're saying, oh God, would you open up a door that this would happen? Now, what are some ways you can use to open up a door? Some ways you can use would be sharing your personal testimony. How do you know you're going to heaven? Share with them how that happened to you. Invite them to this church. Nearly every service, in some measure, your pastor is going to share the message of salvation. Maybe not like it is today so totally, but enough clearly and correctly, compassionately and courageously that they will be able to hear the message. So just look for an open door. Just pray that that door would open. Now I'd like to leave you with, on this point, three words that begin with the letter S. You'll have to write them in your, your side areas of your notes. Very simple. How do I go from, I know the, the gospel, and that person over there doesn't know the gospel. How do I get from here to there? How do I open that door? I'm praying that the door will open. How will I know if God is opening the door? There are three words that you're going to write down, and you're going to do it in this order. Here they are. Number one begins with the letter S, and it's the word secular. You're going to begin with a secular conversation with your family member or friend. Now, secular conversation means what you're doing in the conversation, you're trying to do everything you can to find as much in common with that person as you can. Where were they born? Where do they live? Where do they work? Where do they go to school? What do they like? What's their favorite meal? Now, don't interrogate them, you know, but at the same time, get them feeling comfortable about talking about things that are comfortable to them that they see that you are in agreement that you have things in common. So find a way. How many kids do you have? What ages are they? Were they going to school? Whatever you're doing, you want them to talk hear the sound of your voice, the warmth of your voice, and you're genuinely, genuinely caring for them in their world so that you are connecting them. But it's a secular one. No mention of God, no mention of salvation. It's just finding ways to connect with them. So don't talk about, how's our president doing? Okay, let's stay away from that. All right. Don't talk about pro-life. That's another time, another subject. It's an important topic, but you're just wanting them to talk. And now they're feeling comfortable. Here's the second word. It begins with the letter S. It's the word spiritual. Now that they're feeling comfortable with you, now you want to move into getting them to be feeling comfortable about a spiritual conversation. So how do you do that? So I have Billy Bob over here. We're now shucking and jiving over stuff that we agree with. We're having a good time about it. And <clears throat> for me, it's easy. You could find your own little entry. Mine would be, you know, I am, I'm a teacher, and as I teach, I like to find out opinions of different people about different stages and seasons of their life. Would, would you mind if I asked you a question about an important season of everybody's life? And I want to hear yours. Do you mind if I do that? Get permission. I've never had someone say, no, don't you dare. No, they would, yeah, what do you want to know? And then here's the phrase, spiritual. I say, would you tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey in life? What is your faith journey in life? Do you know when you do that, 
they'll get back and they'll start talking about. It'll move it from a secular to feeling comfortable about their spiritual journey. I don't care what their spiritual journey is. I'm not going to refute them. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm just going to let them say whatever they want to tell me about their, I used to have one, I don't have one now. I hate God, love God, whatever it is. Let them talk spiritual because here's where you're wanting to move that conversation. You want them to release you to talk about your spiritual journey. So after they've gone for a while and he's coming up for air and he said what he needed to say, then simply say, would you mind if I share with you my spiritual journey? It's pretty fascinating. I like to tell you about it. Okay? And so then that person often says, well, yeah, what's your journey? Now I'm to the third S, and that would be salvation. So I moved him from secular positive conversation to spiritual journey conversation. He shares his, now I'm going to share mine, and I begin to, or I end it then with a salvation one, which now I share with people of how to go to heaven when they die. So let me find out from this crowd here how many are Christians even listening to me here this morning. Would you raise your hand? How many are positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to hell? got to change my message. No, I, I, I'm not trying to manipulate you. It's a little funny thing I'm doing here. And I also want you to listen now when I talk to you. But on the other hand, most of you raised your hand, all right? And at least the ones that are awake. All right, you say, I know, I know I'm a Christian. Then how did you become a Christian? You placed your faith in Christ. Listen carefully. You placed your faith in Christ. You got all of that. Where were you? Do you remember? What happened? What did you think salvation was before you got saved? What do you believe it to be now? How has it affected your life because you've trusted Christ? Your spiritual journey is your spiritual journey. This person over here can't say, nah, it didn't happen that way. You're at church on Sunday. You know, no, no, they're not going to refute that. And people love human interest stories. They absolutely love human interest stories. I remember reading a Reader's Digest article. This is horrible, so just don't listen. But it wasn't Reader's Digest, so I can tell you. There was a lady who had a head-on collision. It was so bad, she went through the windshield of her car. And as she went through the windshield of her car, the glass broke, the windshield, and actually scraped every bit of, of membrane. It brought her right down to the, her nose was gone, eyelids were gone, everything. Her face was just like a, like a ball. That's all it was. They rushed her to the hospital. Within a week, her husband came in and says, I can't deal with that. A week later, he divorced her, started the proceeding with the divorce. The doctor took care of this lady's face and plastic surgery for a year or so. And about two years later, truly, it's in Reader's Digest, they made a movie of this too, ended up marrying this gal. Now notice how you're all listening? It's a human interest story. And who wouldn't want to be a surgeon to rearrange your wife's hair? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Carol told me to say that. No, she didn't. But here's my point. People love human interest stories. And your human interest story is probably the most important story of your life you're ever going to tell someone else when you talk about how you met Jesus and why you're so grateful that you're a Christian. All right, here's number three. So we pray for the other person by name. We pray for the Lord to open up a door. Number three, we're going to pray for boldness now. Okay, the door is open. Ooh, what do I say? Now I, I got to say something. So you need boldness to hold your place in Colossians. We're going to go to Ephesians now, chapter 6, verse 18. While you're flipping Ephesians 6, 18, we all would agree that Jesus is the soul winner, all right? And he never leaves us, never forsakes us. He's always with us, so we got that going for us. And then we would say Paul was the second greatest soul winner that ever lived. That's true, but I believe he was not a fearless soul winner. I believe he was a fearful soul winner, so much so that he admitted it when he said, Would you pray for me? I need boldness. 
because he was so fearful. That's this passage. So you and I can identify with Paul when he said, pray for me, I don't have boldness, I need it. So now you're going to pray for it. Let's look at the passage, verse 18. He writes to the people, uh, the Christians at Ephesus, and he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. Don't give up praying for me on my behalf. Pray for me, guys. That utterance, circle that word, utterance. It doesn't mean that I think about salvation. Utterance means I'm going to talk about salvation. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. And in your margin, write secret to soul winning. Just open your mouth. Opening of my mouth to make known with what? Boldness the mystery of the gospel. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So here's a guy saying, I'm a little scared right now. I need boldness. Would you guys pray for me that I could open up my mouth and speak that mystery with all boldness? Would you pray for that? So here's what I'm suggesting for you. You need to have a study buddy, and you need to have a prayer partner. Let me say it a bigger way. Everybody needs an alone time with God, a one-on-one -on -one time with someone of the same sex that they're discipling, working together, growing together. Everyone needs a small group, a place to be loved, and a place to love. And you need corporate worship so you can see that Christianity is bigger than just one person, like you're doing right here. So in this say, you find a study buddy prayer partner. Let me go full circle. Carol is my study buddy. Carol is my prayer partner. I have no doubt she is praying for me right now that I would speak with boldness and brevity. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> All right, but boldness. Let's go back to this boldness issue. I was in Bible college, and while I was in Bible college, we were taught CIO. CIO. C is contact is opportunity. And so as I worked in Bible college, putting myself through at Florida Bible College, I ended up being working downtown for an attorney, and one of my jobs was to take paperwork to the different courthouses. When I did all of that, I could go to, 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 uh, to lunch after class. And when I did, they didn't have the Burger King downtown, and Miami back in the 60s was not like it is today. They had this little tiny diner there, like you watched on television years ago. Remember that comic, comedy show called uh, um, Mel's Diner, you know? Yeah, Mel's or something like that. And you'd go into this place, and there was this big guy behind the counter and he had a couple waitresses well this one had the big guy behind the counter no waitresses he was the cook he was the 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 waitress he was everything i walk in and i'm realizing i'm hungry i have to eat here Ooh, he's really big he's really scary i i can't give him the gospel i, I don't know what i'm going to do oh i know what i'll do i'll give him a track so i'm walking in i'm looking at the board okay i'm going to order whatever it was i ordered i'm going to buy it. I'm going to get the, the check from him. I'm going to put a bunch of money on it, cover it with a heavy good tip on this thing, and I'm going to slip a track in there. So as I did, I did everything that we said to do. This guy finally gets done. He gives me my, my check. I see the check. I reach in my wallet. I pick up this pamphlet along with my money to pay him and give him a healthy tip, and I dropped it right here on top of the counter, just like I'm showing you, and um, I said to him, I consider it a real privilege if you would read this when you have some time. It'll tell you how you can know for sure you can go to heaven when you die just by trusting Christ. It's a track that says, am I going to heaven on it? And so I slid it to him. And then he looked at me. Huh! And he looked at the track. And he looked at me. And he looked at this pamphlet, am I going to heaven? And he looked at me. He looked at the track. And he took his hand and he went, go to hell. And he slid it right in front of me. And I looked at him and I thought, oh my goodness, where in the personal evangelism book does it say how to respond to somebody like this? So I looked at him, I looked at the track, and I looked at him, and I looked at the track. I looked at the track again, and I looked at him, and I said, hmm, 
go to heaven. And I slid it back to him. <laughs> he did exactly what you did. He, he broke it. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, inside this pamphlet, there's nothing but Bible verses. It's not from religion, denomination. It's just from the Bible. It'll tell you that God loves you. You get to heaven not by your works, but by trusting Christ as your Savior. I'm going to tell you, that boldness came because Carol was praying for me to have boldness. you got to have a study buddy, a prayer partner. So I pray for the person. I pray that God would open a door. I'll see if the door is open by sharing a secular, spiritual, sacred conversation with a smile. And then I ask for boldness. God gives it to me. And then once I'm speaking, we're going to end with this. Number four is this. When we speak, we speak with clarity. That we make the message clear when we share the simple message of salvation. And I pray that you do. How many of you know John 3.16? Raise your hand. Can you quote it with me? Can you try that? All right. Nothing's more clear than John 3.16. I stay away from all these other little terms that people like to use that are dear terms, but if I really thought through those terms and I ran it through the grid of Scripture, I would find then that those terms are not biblical and often they can confuse people because they're not accurate nor clear. And so I'd rather use just what the Bible says. Nothing is more clear than John 3.16. You guests that are here, Maybe you've heard the verse, so listen up with us, quote it with us. If you haven't heard the verse, listen as we go through the presentation of the most memorized verse in the Bible on the topic of what we must do to go to heaven. Here's the verse, John 3.16. Let my right hand represent you and me, and let my wallet represent our sin. We all have sin on us. Let my left hand represent God who took on flesh, Jesus Christ. He's perfect. I'm not. My sin separates me from Christ, separates me from heaven. No good deed I do myself will get rid of that sin. I can't be good to go to heaven. If I did, I had to be perfect, and I'm not. I have a problem. Jesus came. He died, took all my sin on himself, rose again from the dead, and all I have to do is trust in him. John 3.16. Quote it with me, everyone. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever behaves shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Is that, what I, is that right? Is that right? No, it's not right. It's not whoever behaves, you know, that gets us to heaven. Whether you do social good deeds or you do religious good deeds, it's not by behaving. Guess, really listen this time. Here you go. Help them out, folks. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes and behaves shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Is that what it says? Believing and behaving is like the guy that puts his foot on the dock and his other foot in his bass boat, and the boat takes off. He's neither in the boat or on the dock. He's got a problem. It's not by works and grace. So it's not by believing and behaving. Should we behave? Absolutely. I'll tell you where that comes in in a moment, but not to get to heaven. Let's do it again. Are you paying attention? Here we go. Can you see this in the back? Watch. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that correct? No. I left a phrase out. Really? Yes, really. All right. Now, you just listen. You don't have to quote it out loud. Guess I am now going to give it to you correctly, and I'll show you the emphasis of what was left out a moment ago. Here it is. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only son, that's Jesus Christ, died and rose again. That whoever you are means whatever kind of person you are, whatever your background, whatever you've done, doesn't really matter, whoever you are. If you would, here it is, believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Belief doesn't save you. 
You see, I can believe in myself and I'll go to hell. Believe in my good works, I'll go to hell. Believe in some religion out there, go to hell. I can believe in a manufactured combination of all bunch of religions and I'll still go to hell. Jesus says, you place your faith alone in me. Then it says, you will not perish but have everlasting life. And if you're smart, you're thinking this. How can you believe in Christ and perish and still have everlasting life, but you perish, but you have everlasting life? If you're dead and you have life, how does that really work? Well, my wife is also a theologian, and she taught me this. She said, Stan, when you die, and should you die before me, he said, and you're up here in the front in that casket, I'm going to bump the lady next to me. I'm going to say, see Stan over there? <laughs> That's just the shell. The real nut's gone. So folks, when you die, the real nut's gone. You physically die, but spiritually, you have everlasting life. Dear ones, this is your message that could impact your world today. Pray for the person. Pray for an open door. Pray for boldness. And when you got it, give it with clarity. I invite you to go by the table at Florida Bible College. We have classes to help you learn these things. There's a book on the table you can get called Keep It Simple Saint. Best book on the clarity of the gospel you'll ever have. Let me pray and the pastor will come and bring us to a close today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we know that there are many people just like the Stan Ponzes and perhaps the guests that are here today that have kind of walked into a meeting and waiting for someone to make the effort to take the trip across the room to shake our hand and help us to understand why you brought them here. And I pray that today, whether they talk to anyone personally, that they understood from what was said that for them and for anyone in the world, salvation is a free gift paid for by the precious, immeasurable death of your son. We thank you that, Father, we can have a no-so salvation, not a hope-so salvation when we place our faith alone in you. Help us to know now that we are to be good, not to get saved, not to stay saved, but we are good. We have the behavior we should have because we are saved. Help us now to respond with a new life and a new lifestyle as a new believer in you, not to get saved, to stay saved, but as a way for us to say to you, God, this is our thank you letter to you. This is our thank you note to you. We thank you for what you've done in our life. We thank you that you're large and in charge, but you're also near and dear. We thank you that we have a forever Savior, never, be, never to be cast out, lost, kicked out, forgotten, that we are signed, sealed, and delivered by your Spirit. And so, Lord, our life now is to wait to say, thank you, Lord. And we're so excited about this gift. Like at Christmas, we got to tell all of our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. And Father, may this church continue to be a bright, blaring lighthouse in not only Georgia, but in our nation and around the world. Father, I just pray this so you'd be glorified in your name. Amen. Would you stand quietly, please, all over the auditorium?